Uh, I love movies. Christmas, summer are some of the favorite, my favorite times of the year. I mean, yeah, because of the birth of Jesus and all that stuff, that's good. But also, great movies come out. Avatar is the main, oh my goodness. If you have not, I mean, I almost wet myself. I liked it so much. It was an amazing movie. I have a clip I want to start my sermon with. Wait, are we going to need to turn off those lights to see the clip? Are we good? We see, okay, let's, let's start with the clip. It's real short. You're in there. You're here. How much have you logged? Zip. But I read a manual. Tell me you're joking. This is cool. Let's go. Don't. Got this. So you just figured you'd come out here to the most hostile environment known to man with no training of any kind and see how it went? What was going through your head? Maybe I was sick of doctors telling me what I couldn't do. Uh, metrics are good. Wing three is ready. Your arms in, hands in, head down. Down. Just relax and let your mind go blank. It shouldn't be hard for you. I guess the darkest part of my little life. Initiate link. Now, I could tell you there's tons of spiritual parallels in this movie. I mean, I was thinking about, I could do a whole series. There's just not any clips out yet because the movie's still out and everything like this. I found this one. I stole it. No, it's legal. I got it legally. But, um, but what I want to talk about, that's Jake Scully. He's like the main character, okay? And the premise is, uh, well, there's a lot of, I mean, I'm not going to say what the premise of the movie is because I want to ruin it for you. But basically, he's this guy that's paralyzed from the waist down. And what they, what's happened is they've grown this avatar or this, like, alien being that lives on this world, and he goes into that machine, and what I would say is his soul, his life, is transported into this avatar, and it comes alive, um, you know, with his, his essence, with his being. And without that, even though the body is physically capable of being alive, it's not until they make this transfer, and he comes alive, and he becomes this amazing leader, and the story's about, you know, that's kind of the storyline. Obviously, you can see the parallels, and uh, there's a lot of great ones. I'd really encourage you to see the movie. I loved it. It's amazing. Make sure you go in 3D. And it's like $50 a ticket or something like that. I don't know what it is, but it's totally worth it. If you don't have the money, Tom Bottenhorn said he'd buy you a ticket, okay? He's right here on the second row, and he'll be glad to pay for your movie. But, um, you know, when you watch a movie like that, if it's about Jake Scully or anyone else, like this hero kind of figure who becomes who they were really created to be is the sense that you get in this movie. Like, he's meant to be the Avatar dude. Like, he's meant to be this alien person, not this cripple. And you watch a movie like that, and I think that we get this surge of excitement in us, you know, and you leave the theater thinking, man, I want to be Jake Scully. I want to, you know, I want to do those things. I want to become who God's made me to be, or I want to become not even who God's made me to be. I want to become more. I want more. I was created for more. And we relate to him because I think that at one time or another in our life, we've all been told that really, you know, you're not going to be more than you are right now. You know, you're really, you've been trying for, you know, to become that person and, you know, and it just hasn't happened. Or maybe You've been discouraged growing up. You know, you weren't the most athletic person, and you were, you know, you were the last picked 
be on the kickball team. I mean, there, I, I, that'll leave a wound. That'll leave a scar. Or maybe you're not as attractive as your brothers and sisters were. They were the ones who always had the dates, and you were kind of, you know, the one left at home not being able to date. Or maybe you weren't the brightest tool in the shed, you know, and you had a to struggle in school while it seemed like everyone else succeeded easily or whatever. But, um, you know, you might be a little shorter than everyone else and might be losing hair or something, you know, and that's just part of life. You got to push through those things and <sighs> moving on. But you see a movie like that and you think, yes, I'm sick of all the, the things the world has told me I can't do. I'm sick of not performing and becoming the person that, um, that I know that I can be. And, and, and this year's going to be different. And I'm going to make changes this year. And so, you know, December's coming up. And all of a sudden, it's January 1st. It's like, that's right, it's January 1st. This is going to be the year that I climb Mount Everest. Or this is going to be the year that I do X, Y, and Z. Or this is going to be the year that I really become this person, you know, that I'm created to be. And what we do at River City Church is totally take advantage of that momentum and that, 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 that emotional push or drive that you have every January to become this great, powerful, and exciting person. And we started it about three years ago with, with these things called spiritual solutions. And we said, you know, spiritual solutions are not New Year's resolutions. They're spiritual solutions. They're things that only God can do in your life. What are they this year? What are the things that you expect God to do this year in your life that only he can do, that he has to show up to do. And um, don't worry, it's not today. It's next week, okay? So I'm just a setup for that to get you thinking and praying and kind of, you know, what is God wanting me to do in my life? But, um, but we do this because we really expect, you know, we really believe at River City Church that the Bible teaches that we were created for more and that many of us have settled for less, for whatever reason, because of wounds in our life, because of underperformance in the world, because of the way we look, because of what we haven't done, because of lies we've believed, that we've settled for less. And as a church, if we're going to become who God's created us to be, and if we're going to become, you know, we need to become who he's created us to be individually. You know, again, I could go right, you know, we need to be the avatar that God's made us to be, the spiritual, powerful person that he's made us to be, not this crippled person in a wheelchair that sees and feels what the world has to offer. But many of us have allowed that to define us as opposed to allowing God to transform us, again, into this avatar. I mean, I could just spend all day on the avatar movie. It's amazing. You know, into this, into this powerful person. And that's what spiritual leaders do. Create a dependence in our life for God. Create expectation that God needs to show up in my life a dependence that we don't currently have. This year is going to be different. And if it's going to be different, it's not because I'm going to work harder. It's because God's going to show up. I'm going to create space for God to show up. And again, we do this this time of the year because we know in your mind you've started thinking, I'm going to change. I mean, let's just see. I can't see you that well because of the blinding light right now. But how many of you, just be honest, have started making these goals in your life? How many of you have made dietary goals in your life. Raise your hand. Be honest. The Lord knows. See, some of you are just like, I'm too, no, why would I do that? I'm already perfect, you know? Well, you need to make some other goals then about honesty and humility, okay? 
All right, so that doesn't, that's not a spiritual solution. That's a resolution, okay? Okay, what about, how many of you have made goals that involve exercise? Raise your hands. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I've done that a little bit. My gimpy self. Okay, what about your family? Goals that involve your family. I'm going to change this. I want to be at home more. I spend more time with my kids. How you spend your free time. I'm not going to watch 20 hours of TV this weekend. Or I'm not going to waste time. I'm going to be more productive. What about goals in your life that involve your spouse? Or someone you're dating? Or being married? Or sex? No hands? Goodness gracious. You think at River City Church, by now, you feel the freedom to be honest about that. Okay? Liars. Anyway. You know, why is that? I mean, the question I kind of was led to as I was preparing this talk and thinking about spiritual solutions and setting you up for next week is, um, you know, why do we have this thing inside of us? Because I think we all do. I think each of us has this thing inside that says, you know, you need to be better. You can be better. And we feel it coming around, and we look at January because it's a new year. It's 2010. That's actually the reason we're changing the time. It's not 2930. It's 2010. That's why we're moving the church time to, to 10 o'clock. It's the Lord's thing. It's a spiritual thing. Don't blame me. Don't judge me. Judge him. All right? Okay. But, you know, let's be honest about why we make New Year's resolutions. Okay? Let's just get it out there. I'm going to say this, what, what no one's talking about. Okay? The reason we make New Year's resolutions is because we believe that there's this person inside of us, this person you really want to be, or you think that other people want you to be. And so, you believe if you do these things and you become this person, then all will be good. People will love you. People will respect you, admire you, want to date you. They might even want to be like you, right? Right. You might be saying, no, that's not what I do. I just want to be a better person. Well, okay, you can keep lying to yourself. But I think... I think there's something inside of us that's motivated by, by the love of man. I mean, the Bible talks about that. You know, our desire to, be, to have approval. You know, basically what's happening is you want people to worship you. I think we would all like that. We want people to look at our life, to look at our family, to look at our job, to look at our income, to look at our house, to look at our physique. Oh, I was going to pull my shirt up, but I decided to spare you. Um, And we want people to love us. We want to be liked. We want to be admired. And maybe you're saying, well, I really don't care about that. I just want to be a better person. Okay, well, then that's you worshiping yourself. That's you worshiping your ability to become a better person. And that's idolatry. And that's not good. Idolatry is not good. All right? We're supposed to worship God, not ourselves, or our ability to become someone better, okay? And what happens is our do's and our don'ts basically are defining what our God or goddess looks like. My God is a God who is balanced, who is in order, who has a quiet time every day, who goes to church regularly, who is physically fit, who, um, you know, is a leader. My God is someone who... Uh, has a very uh, ethical and moral, you know, perfection about their life. My God is someone who everyone can look up to. We all have our list. We all have our list of things we want to attain and become so that people will love us and like us. And that's exactly why we do spiritual solutions. So people will love us 
I'm just kidding. And like us. No, that's a joke. Okay? All the visitors are like, I'm leaving this cult. But anyway, um, but again, we have to go back to the original question. Why is this? Whether you agree with that premise or that idea or not. Well, I don't believe that, Antley. I don't want to be worshipped. I don't want to worship myself. I just want to be a better person. Okay, whether you believe that or not, let's agree on this reality. There's something inside of us that says we need to be better. There's something inside of us that pushes us to become better. We all have that. That's, that's, that's a fact. You can't disagree with me on that, or you're lying. I'm right, you're wrong, okay? So, but wh- so why is that? What, where does that come from? Where does this, this push to become better come from? And I think the answer is because God made us that way. God made us to be better. God created us for more. God created us in his image. And certainly all of us are not reflecting in every part of who we are God, are we? And so God's created this seed in us that says, you were created for more. Do you believe me? There's more to life than what you see. There's more to life than what you can become and do that you need me for. And the burning desire that you feel to become better is really a seed that I've planted to become like me. When God created us, he said, you are very good, created in my image. Go and make, basically that's what he said, I mean, go and make mini-me's. Go and reproduce what I've made in you. Go and reproduce me. And so we have in the creation story this reality, this truth that we were created in God's image like him. And we're told to go and reproduce that in the world. But what happened is we decided to do things our way. Like Adam, we don't trust God, and we want control of our life. We want to do things our way, and that's basically what sin is. That's what separates us from God. God's saying, go make mini-me's, and us saying, you know, I'd really like to make me look like this. I'd really like to look like this. I don't know how much of God I want to reflect. I want to reflect this person in the world. I want to become this person. I want to do life my way. And that's what sin is. It's a brokenness from the original intention of who God created us to be and the purpose he created us for. And so instead of going around and reproducing God in the world and bringing God's kingdom in the world, we reproduce our form and function of what we think God should be or who we are, and we bring about our kingdom. And so what happens is, God says to us, you are good. I've created you for more. Do you feel that, Antley? Do you feel that burning desire to become better? That's a seed that I've planted that says you were created for more. And then the enemy says, do you see, Antley? God doesn't love you the way he made you. You better clean up your act. See how he just distorts the truth just a little bit? And so God says, you were created for more. The enemy says, see, God didn't, he doesn't love you the way that you are, which is a lie. He created us the way that we are. And so we hear what the enemy says instead of what God says. We hear it through the enemy's filter, through our sin and through our brokenness. And so we hit New Year's or we hit spiritual solution time and it's all of a sudden, God doesn't love you the way you are, so you better clean up your act, Antley. You better read through the Bible this year. 
You better only play Christian music in your house and in your car this year. You better go to church every Sunday this year. You better stop looking at porn this year. And this is a hypothetical, of course. I'm just like using examples here. I start out with antlet, you know, but it's a general, okay? It's a general statement. All right? You better serve the poor this year. You better give more money to the church this year. You know, you better go on a mission trip this year. You better pray for people to be healed this year. You better cast out a demon this year. You better lead your family to Christ this year. If you want God to love you. And the list goes on. And I'll just tell you, everything that I just read was what, was on the spirit, was what you wrote down as your spiritual solutions last year. And that's not a bad thing. Those are all good things. And again, there's nothing wrong with resolutions. I want to say that up front. There's nothing wrong with those spiritual solutions. Those are all great things. If they are positioning us in our life in a way that allows God to come in and transform and create and use us in a way that we can't do on our own. We are created for more. That's a fact. That's the truth. And there is a spiritual reality beyond what we can see of who God has made us to be and what he's created us to do. But our becoming who that is and doing what he's created for us has a lot more to do with God than it does with us. It has, it has to. If us becoming who God created us to be was about us, then it puts us back into the position of being God, of being in control of who we become and what we're able to do. And the, the only people that would be valued in becoming who God created them to be then would be all, everyone who's like a type A, everyone who is like, you know, like really disciplined and organized and has structure in their life. Well, that would exclude me. You know, and it would exclude 50% of us probably. And God has a plan for all of us. And it doesn't have to do with how hard we work. It doesn't have to do with what we accomplish this year. It has to do with God and his desire to accomplish within us. We cannot be more like God by working harder at it. We become more like God by allowing him to work more within us. Spiritual solutions are not goals we set so that we can then work hard to achieve them. Spiritual solutions are goals or areas of our life that we acknowledge we can't do unless God shows up. They're too big. They're too big. They won't get done no matter how hard we work. They just won't happen unless God shows up. They're supernatural. There is no explanation for it except for God. And we heard, you know, what's so exciting about spiritual solutions at River State Church is we've heard throughout the year, you know, people come up and say, you know, that thing I wrote down on that spiritual, whatever that was that Ailey had us do, it's happened. I forgot I even wrote it down, and then it happened, and, and I immediately remembered what God had placed on my heart, and we've heard that throughout the year. And as I was reading through them, I, I mean, it was just amazing. I was reading, rereading them last night. And uh, I just, I started, and, and some of you wrote your names on them. And I would, I know that they've happened in your life. It was so encouraging. And next week, we're going to have kind of a special testimony time for people to share about their spiritual solution, what God's done, if you remember it, and God's done it. Or if he's not even. Don't hold me to that, though. I might not do that, depending, you know, what happens this week in my sermon. But that's what I'm planning on doing next week, to encourage us. 
But spiritual solutions are goals or areas in our life that we acknowledge we can't do unless God shows up. They don't reflect, they do not reflect what we are able to do, but rather what, is, what God is able to do when we ask him into our life. I want to tell you a story about someone in the Bible because I think that many of us think, we hear that, and in our minds, you know, like Jake Sully, the guy in the wheelchair, we really have a hard time believing that there's an avatar out there for us, that there's this powerful spiritual person that God's created us to be. And as I was praying, I've been reading this book. I actually finished it um, over the break. It's called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. It's an amazing book. We sell it in our bookstore. I really, really recommend you reading it. And what he does is he talks about how we've made idols of different things. And he goes through and uses biblical characters to demonstrate this reality. And, um, and this, the person that I want to center in on just for, just for about five minutes um, or so is uh, a guy named Zacchaeus. And many of you have maybe heard this story of Zacchaeus. But it's a great picture. Zacchaeus is a reminder to us all that if God can reach him, if God's made an avatar, if God's made the potential within Zacchaeus to be someone great and powerful and unique, which he did, that if he's done it with Zacchaeus, then he could do it with me. I mean, not because he's short, just because there's other factors. There's some other factors in there that I want to tell you about. I want to set the context for the story. You see, Back in the day of Zacchaeus, you know, we all know that he was a tax collector. We all have heard, or maybe you don't, but he was a chief tax collector. And basically, what happened back in the, the ancient Near East is that whenever a city would, would conquer a nation, um, they wouldn't want to, like, start running that nation because it was a headache, all right? It was just too many details. And so what they would do is they would, they would make a treaty with it, and they would put them underneath their rule, and they would oppress them. They would have some of their Roman rulers and that nation, but then they would allow the nation to function kind of as it would, but only as a very oppressed, you know, as, as oppressed, so they would still be under their rule. And so, basically, the Roman government had conquered and ruled over Israel and the Jews, okay? And the way that they maintained their rule was by oppressing them. And one of the ways they oppressed them and kind of kept them under their thumb is that they would bring kind of a brute force or an army in there, and they would get one of their own like Zacchaeus, who was a Jew, to betray his people and then go to them and say, you know, you owe five bucks to the government. All right? And what Zacchaeus had the opportunity to do, or tax collector had the opportunity to do, is basically charge them whatever he wanted. That's called extortion in modern times, like today. But back then, he was able to do it. And he brought along the Roman army with him to enforce it. And so basically, if the Roman government was said, hey, look, we need to create a powerlessness, you know, a hopelessness with these people. We need to keep them under, they need to be oppressed, they need to feel like there's no hope. So we're going to tax them out the wazoo, all right? We're going to take 80% of all of their money. And they would tell that to Zacchaeus. Or maybe they'd say 70% or 50%, or I don't know what the percentage was. But they'd say this high percentage, it would make it impossible for them to almost live. And then they'd say, and Zacchaeus, by the way, if you want to make any money, you need to take more off the top. You can see why he was hated. Because Zacchaeus would come to them and say, look, the Roman government means 95% of your money now. Or 80%. Or whatever. And so people absolutely hated him. Because not only was he taking advantage of his role, but he was also, these people were already oppressed. He was taking advantage of people who were already down. His own people. So he was just like a traitor. The equivalent would be someone who would sell children 
into sex slavery in the inner city is the equivalent that Keller said. That's the vibe, the hatred that people would have towards someone like Zacchaeus. And so with that in mind, here's the story of Zacchaeus real quickly. Luke 19.1, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Okay, so he was the richest of all the tax collectors. He led all the tax collectors, and therefore he was the most hated. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass the way, that way. So we have Zacchaeus, a small little guy, there's nothing wrong with that, all right, who climbed a tree to see, Je- to see who Jesus was. And the reason he had to was because everyone hated him, and no one would give him space on the street because of their hatred for him. And again, in that culture, you might not know this, it wasn't freedom that was that important to people. They were oppressed. It wasn't your rights that were important to a person in that culture because they were oppressed. They were like slaves. What was important to that, to that culture, to the Jewish culture, was dignity and honor. Those were the values that were mo- held the most, with, with the highest esteem. Dignity and honor. I'm going out on a limb here, pun intended. But I'm thinking that Zach is not scoring major points in the area of dignity and honor by climbing a tree as an adult, okay? You don't read about adults climbing trees in the New Testament anywhere else. So, okay, I'm... I'm going on a stretch here. So here's this hated person who has no friends, who is climbing a tree, losing all dignity, all honor, all respect among his peers and people who he's oppressed. Why did he do it? Why would he go through that? Why would he do that? Because it says he wanted to see Jesus. And in verse 5 it says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry. And come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus was desperate to see Jesus. We know because of what he was willing to sacrifice. His dignity, his honor. And so we see a humble man come before Jesus. And Jesus looks up and he sees him. Again, in the movie Avatar, there's a, a scene where they talk about, I see you. And and it's more than a visual seeing. And what they describe is that it's like they're looking into the heart of each other. And I know you. And there's a connection that's there that is unlike a visual connection. And when I was reading the scripture, I immediately thought of that. That Zacchaeus was looking at a visual Jesus. And when Jesus looked up and saw Zacchaeus, he didn't see just Zacchaeus, the person. He saw his heart. He saw a man who had sacrificed everything. He looked in, and Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He saw his heart. He saw his brokenness. He saw his humility. And he asked Zacchaeus if he can come and be with him. It's interesting that it's not Zacchaeus asking Jesus into his life. It's Jesus asking Zacchaeus to come into his The only thing that that Zacchaeus did was to position his heart and his life in a way that allowed Jesus to work. 
That's the only thing that Zacchaeus did is he humbled himself. He positioned himself so that Jesus would see him and come into his life. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And that word sinner there actually means outcast and traitor, lowest of low. No matter what you've done or how hellish this year has been to you or that you've been to other people, the story of Zacchaeus reminds us that Jesus has come to be with you. That Jesus sees your heart. He sees your brokenness. He sees your dysfunction. He sees your pain. And he says, come and be with me. I want to change your life. And that's exactly what happens when Zacchaeus comes down and lets Jesus in. In verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he, is also, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. lost. And we see this massive transformation in Zacchaeus' life when he receives the salvation that comes by letting Jesus into his life. We see this because he, he goes far beyond what the Jewish law requires. 10%. Fourfold he gives back. Understanding that he was saved that day, that he was transformed that day, not based on what he has done, not based on his resolve, not based on his work, but the salvation came to the house that day based on Jesus Christ. Him seeing Jesus, positioning his life so that Jesus would come and be with him. More than anything, our spiritual illusions need to bring us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. They often will require us to go out on a limb. They might make us look foolish in the eyes of the world and might even cost us our honor and our dignity like Zacchaeus. But when we position our life in a way that aims to let Jesus in, the impact will be massive transformation. This is the purpose of spiritual illusions, for our lives to be transformed by knowing Jesus. And so this week, as you, I want you to think, I want you to pray about what areas of my life do I want to have massive transformation in? What areas of my life is there massive brokenness or massive wounds? Those are the areas that I am out of control in. Jesus, see me, come and be there with me. Transform me this year. So be thinking about that. It is with that in mind this morning that we move to communion, a time where we remember what Christ has done for us and that we cannot do for ourselves. If we could move that table over. Someone help me move that table over. That Lisa, Paul, thanks. In Luke 22, it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and said to them, That's good. I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. And so today, in our first meeting, our first Sunday, we celebrate this reality of what Jesus has done for us. And we acknowledge on that day when he celebrated with his friends, his closest friends, his spiritual family, he said, look, you can't become who I've created you to be, powerful, unless you live in the reality and in the truth and believe that my body has been broken for you. And that it's only through my broken body that you can become who I've made you. And in the same way, he took a cup and he said, this cup is to remind you of the newness that will come in the forgiveness of your sins that only can happen through my blood and what I will do for you on the cross. And they shared the cup, realizing a reality that they could not become the people that God made them to be. They could not be forgiven of their sins, be cleansed, and be holy. They could not be like God created in his image unless... They acknowledge it was through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And so as God's children this morning, as his family this morning, we remember and we celebrate that same reality. We don't have any ushers that come to release you, but everyone's welcome to this table. Anyone who celebrates that reality, anyone who follows Jesus Christ, desires for him to transform their life. This bread is a reminder that it can happen like it happened for Zacchaeus. This wine is a reminder that your sins are forgiven. You've been cleansed. You're created for more.